Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. We're talking with Ron Reed today, 2022 inductee into the South Dakota Hall of Fame. And Ron, I want to start talking today about your career was so varied. As you look back over the arc of all of the things you have worked on, what memories stand out to you? What are you proudest of? Well, I I actually lived in two different worlds. I I started out uh, in the theater and had a total career in the theater. Uh, I ended up as head of the Department of Theater at the University of South Dakota. And then we gave birth to my my daughter, Kathleen, who was severely handicapped. And so that kind of changed our life, to be honest, uh, because at that time we started searching for opportunities for her. And everywhere that we went, they would do an examination and say, we will take a physical handicapped child, but we will not take a mentally handicapped child. And the advice was to put her in Redfield State Institution and just leave her there. And she was two years old and I, nah, we couldn't do that. So we start looking at other opportunities that were there and didn't find anything immediately. Um, but we had success in the theater and we ultimately we we had just dedicated the ground for building the new Performing Arts Center in Vermilion. And uh, I got a, uh, a call from Purdue University asking if I would, sit, would take a, a chance at you know, coming over there and being head of the department. And I said to them that the only reason I would leave South Dakota was there was a program there for Kathleen. They said, I think we have one. So in that case, I'll come for an interview. So I did. They offered the job to me, and then they took me to see a performance center that they had built. And it was a birth-to-death facility for individuals with disabilities. The university's faculties are the ones who created it. They were using it as a teaching ground for their students. And so it was for all ages, and it was complete services on any aspect of of having disability. So we were there for three years. And in the third year, I got a call from Ann Thompson first to see if I would return to South Dakota. And I said, no, I've got a great program here. I'm a tenured full prof at Purdue. What more could you ask for with a program that fits her perfectly? But she continued to, to try to persuade me with a couple more phone calls and pretty soon I was getting calls from Governor Knipe asking if I would consider coming to South Dakota. And we chatted. I returned to the state for retirement uh, for uh, Dr. Warren Emily for the uh, theater. And um, he got wind that I was coming to the state, asked if I would meet with him. And so I told him I would. And so we had a nice chat, but I told him I've got this wonderful facility now. And I said, the only thing that would cause me to give second thoughts to coming back to South Dakota was that the state would get more seriously involved in providing special education for children. And he said, you're right. He says, we'll do it. 
I said, well, I just signed a contract for next year with Purdue. It's too late. Too late is two days later, he calls me on the phone and says, I just got off the phone with the uh, governor of Indiana and they'll release you from your contract if you will take this position. And I went, well, I kind of agreed that's what I would, would do, so I did. And, I and that was a state uh, head of a department cabinet level position, correct? Correct. correct. So it was, it was um, cultural affairs, education and cultural affairs, and I was secretary of, of those divisions. Here's what intrigues me about that is your, your profession and your success to that point had been in the theater and in correct. education. Obviously, your love for your daughter had caused your attention, your learning, and your focus in some of those issues around her education. But that wasn't that wasn't your training, really. No, so, it was how not. did that then all come together with this cabinet level position? Well, I I, I knew what was missing uh, to begin with. Um, in my experience in the theater, I I did both directing and scenic design. Uh, we designed the program that went across the state of doing touring to get people to see what we were doing in, in theater uh, for the university and for the state. And that persuaded the legislature to fund us for a new building. Um, and I looked at every, everything is possible if you just open the right door and if you're persistent. And so when I got involved with education and higher education. I had the Board of Regents at my disposal. I had elementary secondary education. I had uh, all the arts programs in the state were all part of the uh, my responsibility and so I could use resources that were already there uh, to alert and, and, and make presentations to say this is necessary to do. And so getting to the schools, the public schools, Public Law 94-142 was passed by Congress and insisting that all of the schools provide assistance for people with disabilities. But we were dragging our feet because it meant new monies going on in. And so if monies were established by the legislature, the Department of Education thought that it should be distributed evenly with all the programs. And I fought that and said, no, this is a brand new program that has never existed before. It's got to be treated differently. And the governor agreed. And so money went into their budget specifically for that purpose. And so we were able to fund elementary secondary education for individuals with a disability. But, but for people who weren't around then and may now take some of those programs for granted, what kind of things got established in the schools that weren't there before? Well, first of all, they, the schools had no responsibility to have any kind of a program. And so some of the bigger schools in Sioux Falls and in Rapid City had programs for individuals, but it, was, it really wasn't a complete program that went all the way through high school. They were separated, um, but they were providing services. But in the smaller schools, they didn't have that opportunity. And some of them just had a child or two that needed that service. Well, to provide a teacher for two children is very, very difficult. And so one of the people who was in state government at that time was Randy Morris. And he created Black Hill Special Services. And that company 
broke, uh, broke the status because what they did was they would hire a teacher for two or three very, very small schools that would spend part of a day at each one of those schools so they could provide the service and, and have a teacher to do that, but the teacher belonged to Black Hill Special Services, so they just paid a, uh, a fee mm -hmm. for being part, and they were all part of that organization. And so it opened doors to kids who had never had an opportunity to see anything. And so it was a, it was a great opportunity to work. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious about, I think with any time finite government dollars get allocated, there are people who say, yes, we have an obligation, but not that much. Or, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of pushback did you get? What kind of lobbying did you have to do to build consensus around those ideas? You know, it wasn't all that difficult, quite honestly, because part of it was the governor was pushing it as part of his budget. And so you didn't have to go to the legislature and persuade government to do it. Government was pushing the legislature to do it. And with the public law, there was a requirement for the states to get involved. So I didn't find that to be a big barrier. Nobody seemed to put up things and saying, well, that's impossible, we can't do that. There were questions about rural areas and small schools and with small populations of children that may not even need any of the services. But, but they understood the need. And there were enough that had coming forward and saying, I have a disabled daughter or a mother or whatever, and would recognize the issue. And they could get on board with it because they recognized there was a need. So you left South Dakota because there were no programs for Kathleen. When Correct. you came back, you were in charge of developing programs. Correct. What difference did it make? Let's, let's make it the micro. How did it affect Kathleen's life? Well, when she got back, the public law was in effect. She went to a class in Pierre. They were not prepared for her or for the program. And they put her in a, a room that was a storage room for books and old materials. And there were two clients in the, in the room with a part of a teacher. And that's how it started out. But what she ended up having to do is to fight those battles each one and say, no, you have a responsibility beyond this. Um, and so the smaller schools, through the cooperatives that were created, had opportunities to get a teacher that fit their needs for the number of days and the number of clients they had. And that opened up doors to all kinds of smaller schools all across the state. And some of those teachers were traveling long distances to be there for a day and a half or, or two days, depending on the number of of children they needed to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But progress was being made. Mm -hmm. Is progress still being made? Does there does more progress need to be made? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, every time I walk into a building and there's no automatic door openers to get you into the building, um, it makes me stop and think, you know, they'll have three steps going on in but no access. And I don't care if it's McDonald's, or if we're talking about a supermarket or a store. The big chain stores tend to accommodate that. But the smaller stores, the independent ones and so forth, say, well, they can get in. You know, well, when they're trying to open a door and you're in a wheelchair, just do it sometime and see what it's like. Mm -hmm. And so 
I, I've been an advocate and I, I will call companies and so forth and say, I will bring you a wheelchair and a, a walker and I defy you to get into your building. Well, a lot of them just deny you even the opportunity to demonstrate the need. Oh, it's too expensive. And I go, did you ever price it out? Did you ever see what it really would cost you? Do you know how many people would might use your facility if it was acceptable? So I, I, go, I wage a war. Mm -hmm. And you just have to continue to pursue it. Mm -hmm. But you know, your point is a good one. This is... This is not just an issue for differently abled people, but we have an aging population. The tail end of the baby boom is among us, so we have an aging When you see generation. a mother with a baby carriage or a stroller or something trying to get in a door and push that through the door, they need it just as bad. Yeah. And, and it will improve the, the access to their building and more people will come. When you were telling the story about someone saying to you how much that will cost, they probably don't realize who they're talking to in that you know what the laws are, but then you also, the next iteration of your career was to work a bit in construction and building, and you've been project superintendent of major building facilities, so you probably know those costs off the back of your head. But I'm curious how that next step was made in your life, how you got from Pier to Rapid City and that next chapter of your well, life. Well, in, in Pier, I recognize, because we were working with different agencies of government, the number of veterans coming back from Vietnam who were handicapped and access to homes and places like that were very, very difficult. There were a lot of rental homes that had steps going on in, the hallways were narrow, the bathrooms wouldn't fit them and so on. So I started designing houses and building houses that met those requirements. And it was going very, very well, but then the economy went to hell. Uh, we had 18% inflation rates, and it just collapsed the business. So I went to work for Randy Morris and Black Hill Special Services. And, like and did what there? And what were you doing there? Well, I had several programs that were under me at various times. I was representative into the schools. Um, and then ultimately, we got a state contract for assistive technology for the state of South Dakota. And they, they shelled it out to Black Hill Special Services to run it. And so, and I ran that program for four years before I retired. Mm -hmm. So it's a statewide assistive technology program that fits anybody. And it doesn't have to be severely handicapped, but a, an elderly person with arthritis that can't open a door because they can't grip around mm -hmm. and you know all you have to do is change the knob mm -hmm. for them or put an extension on their key so that they can grip it and turn it or you commit them to we had a, a, a client who was in peer and was in the hospital in peer that was totally handicapped and he would put a, 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 a straw in his mouth and they would hold up an an alphabet board and he would point to it and for them to talk to them as to what he needed. And our technicians hooked him up with an eye blink system that ran the computer. And then there was a screen on the wall and he could print what he needed and so forth. And we came back a year later for a, for a visit, and I visited him more than that, but came back with his system and he had written his life history. 
and you're going, what a door that we have opened for him and for others and so yeah. forth. It was really, it really was wonderful. Yeah. So every one of those, you know, it's kind of like a blessing and you get excited and you have more enthusiasm to go out and do more. Um, as you are inducted now into the South Dakota Hall of Fame and your life story remains, as people watch these clips over time, what are the kind of things and the lessons that you've worked with so many young people that you would like to be remembered for or you would like them to remember from the experiences of your life? Well, first of all, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. And on each of the programs that I was involved in, whether it was the Community Health Center, the Black Hills, or Universal, uh, YFS, Youth and Family Services, or the co-op or whatever, I mean, if you get your heart into it and you're working with children and adults who are in need, it just makes you feel good. And that's really all you need to do. I mean, so just step up to the table and just don't watch it happen. Make yourself part of it. So every person who can make a contribution, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And you get a lot of people who will follow you. They don't want to be a leader, but they personally get on bag with you and, and try to make it, make it happen. I think that is a wonderful legacy for you, Ron Reed. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for all you've done for the state of South Dakota. Thank you. And congratulations on being in the Hall of Fame. I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.